Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Today we're coming to verses 9 and 10 of Titus chapter 2. As you know, Paul is writing by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to this young man of the faith named Titus, who he mentored and discipled. And now he's sending him off to an island called Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. And he was discussing about how the older men are to conduct themselves in a certain way, and the older women, and the young men, and the young ladies. And now he transitions, and he kind of uh, elaborates on what, what he wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, and then to the church of Colossae in the book of Colossians about servants. And today, I just want to draw your attention to these two verses, and I want to share this thought with you, servanthood 101. If I could label my thoughts today with anything, it's that, that phrase, servanthood 101, or in other words, how to be a servant of God. And as we come to these two verses, I want you to know this. First and foremost, slavery, any way, shape, or form is wrong and is sin in the eyes of God. And when we come to this passage, we understand that sometimes the master and servant relationship, sometimes it was abusive that we think of in our modern form of slavery. But in this case, in the majority of the time in the Roman Empire, the way they didn't have large corporations like we do today. Listen, when they went to the grocery store, they didn't go to Walmart. Walmart. They didn't go to Food Lion. They didn't go to Kroger. They didn't go to Aldi's or any of these other places. They didn't have these massive chains that span from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. They had little regional areas and they had people overseeing that. And then that person would have hired help. And sometimes that person would hire people and they would live on their property. He would have a place for them and they would be treated as servants or in a sense, if you want to call them slaves. Sometimes it was, it was a healthy relationship and sometimes unhealthy. And in this passage, we see that the master was kind of like the boss and the servant was kind of like the employee. So we have an employer and employee relationship. And, and I want to say this, that, that if any person who calls himself a Christian would ever to be an employer or an employee, they should be the number one employee and the number one employer. They should be the ones treating others like the way Christ treats us with great amounts of love. Today, if I could just summarize my sermon with any statement as a statement, the Christian life is a life devoted to serving his heavenly master. The Christian life is a life devoted to serving his heavenly master. So as Paul's writing, he's, he's emphasizing this thought about servants and their relationship with our masters. And he says, I believe that as we read a little bit deeper, as we come to these two verses, we see that our relationship with God, that he is our master. The Bible says that we are not to call anybody master on this earth except for him. The Bible says we cannot serve God and mammon. We can only have one master. So my question for you today is who is your master? Is your master Jesus Christ or somebody else? Today I want to ask and answer this one question. How can we become a servant of God? How can we become a servant of God? When you study the word servant, it literally means a minister. Somebody willing to lay aside their, their selfishness their pride and to come before God with a humble spirit and say whatever you want me to do God I will do. Wherever you want me to go, God, I will go. Here I am. Send me. Very briefly, I want to share with you how we can be a servant of God in five steps. 
And the first part is found in the first part of verse number nine. It says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. I wrote down this first thought. A servant of God seeks to obey his master. A servant of God seeks to obey his master. Just as you go off to your job, now I'm sure you might have had a boss over the years that you did not want to obey them. <laughs> that everything they said and did made you want to disobey them. But I want you to know this, that God, our heavenly master, has done everything in his capability to make us and inspire us to want to obey him to the fullest. And how do we obey him? Well, we open up God's word and we do what it says. How can we obey him right now in this season of ministry? Well, the Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It says to go and fulfill the great commission. God has given us a message. And the greatest thing we could do is when an opportunity like the Child Evangelism Fellowship opens up, we are called to obey that calling and that opportunity and take God's message of salvation and advance it into this area. Listen, you know, years ago, back in the 60s, our world said, hey, let's get God and the Word of God out of the school system. Let's get it out of there. We don't need the Bible. We don't need Jesus. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't need God the Father. We don't need any of that stuff anymore. And, and years have gone by. And what does our world find out that we need today? Hey, they're being desperate today. They're saying, hey, we need something. And what's doing, what we're doing is not working. I'll tell you what our world needs. Our world needs a little dose of Jesus. <laughs> we don't need the prescription on the counter at Walmart today. We need a prescription of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's time that we get back to the basics and we take the message of Jesus Christ to our world. Why is it that we know what we need to do, but we're not willing to do it? We know that we have the cure for this disease called sin, but we're not willing to take that message to the other world that we live in. A servant of God seeks to obey his master. You know, I believe that God right now is, is laying on your heart things that he wants you to do and be obedient to. And perhaps maybe today it's time to submit to that word. You know, this word obey, it's the same word that Paul used in Romans chapter 13 about being subject to the higher powers. It's the same word that Paul used when he's dealing with, with how a husband and a wife responsibility, how a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and the wife is to be subject or submit to the leadership and the authority of the man that God has placed in your life. The same word here, it says to us that we are to be subject to our heavenly master and his name is Jesus. I'm not your master. Your spouse is not your master. Thank God for that. Listen, your master is King Jesus. So let's obey him fully. As this passage moves forward, we see a second way that we can be a servant of God, a second step. I wrote down this. A servant of God not only seeks to obey his master, but I wrote down secondly, a servant of God seeks to please his master. A servant of God seeks to please his master. Do you remember when you were just a little child and when you were out, maybe, maybe, maybe you grew up playing sports, maybe, maybe, maybe you didn't. Maybe you, you did things around the house and you, you just wanted your mom or your dad to notice what you were doing. Have you ever been playing with kids and they said, hey, whatever your name is, look, 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 hey, look, look at me. Hey, I'm going to jump off this diving board, look at me. In a sense, we're trying to please those that are watching us. And today, your job is not to please me and my job is not to please you. Our job is to please Almighty God. 
Just as a servant would seek to please his earthly master here and back in Paul's time, I believe that the Bible is telling us right here that we are called to please our master, Jesus. It goes on to say, and to please them well in all things. This word please is a very interesting word. And it literally means to be in fully agreement with, to be fully accepted with. And today, I want you to know this, that when we are, are in our relationship with God, everything that we're bringing to the table, we have to ask and say, God, is this well-pleasing in your sight? Is what I'm doing acceptable in your eyes? Wouldn't that be great if we had a household of men and women and boys and girls here at Clearbrook that said that every single day they woke up and they said, God, help me to please you today and all day. You know, it's an everyday thing. Yes, when we get saved, yes, when we become born again, we're full of the Holy Spirit of God, but God wants us every day to get on our knees and say, God, I need you. God, help me. God, help me to be acceptable in your eyes, whatever I'm doing. Why is it that we seek to be approved and accepted by everybody else but God? Why is it that we care more about our neighbor across the pew or the aisle or the road thinks about us than what Almighty God has to say about us. I want you to know this today. You, me, we all have been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And God loves us and he wants us to be used by him and he wants us to please him in his will. So every day we say, God, Not my will, but thine be done as Jesus prayed. You know, it's very interesting. Um, I I, I, I am certainly an individual who likes to listen to a wide variety of preaching. But I was was listening to a a sermon years ago, and and the fellow that was preaching was saying that that if you ever pray according to your will, you're praying in a lack of faith. And I am all about praying a big prayer and asking God to take my little mustard seed of faith and moving a mountain. But let's be reminded that Jesus said, if you ask anything according to my will, it shall be done. And First John says it as well. So I want you to know this, that if we pray a prayer and we say, I believe it in Jesus name, God, send me a billion dollars. <laughs> that may not be answered. No matter how much faith you have. <laughs> we have to pray in faith. Yes but uh, in accordance to the will of God. And I believe that as we're seeing this here, well-pleasing in God's eyes mean that we're submitting every day saying, God, not my will, but yours be done in every area. The Bible goes on to say, it says not answering again. So we've looked two steps so far. A servant of God seeks to obey his master. Secondly, a servant of God seeks to please his master. Are you pleasing him? Are you obeying him? But I wrote down thirdly, a servant of God seeks to speak well of his master. A servant of God seeks to speak well of his master. This word, this phrase, not answering again. You ever For those of you who have children, have your children ever given you a hard time and a and a sharp remark and and uh, said something pretty smart. <laughs> no, that's never happened to y'all. Y- y- y'all have like 
picture-perfect Susie and picture-perfect Bobby in your household. You know, your children are like walking on water and raising the dead and giving sight to the blind. Well, for, for the rest of us, including myself, who, who did not always walk on water in my parents' household, um, this word, not this phrase, not answering again, it, gives, it can be translated in, in a few other passages in the New Testament. It's been translated as dispute, as to refuse, as to contradict, as to deny. And in Titus chapter 1 and verse uh, number 9, it, it can also has been translated as gainsayer. And a gainsayer is somebody who opposes God's word and God's will. So as a Christian, as a servant of God, we are not to oppose the word of God. When God's word says something... It is final. Whether I might like it or might not like it, God's word is always final. And here, not answering again, it means that when, when God's word says something, sometimes in my flesh, you know, I'm like, well, well, I, I know it. I know what it says here, but, but that's, for, uh, that's for that person right there. <laughs> that, that's for uh, brother so-and-so on this side of the, the auditorium. No, that verse right there, that's for sister Sadducee. Yeah. Now, this verse is for Brother Pharisee. It's not for, for me, you see, Lord, it's not for me. Well, here, I believe that when the Bible says not answering again, that is when God's word says something, we don't need to dispute about it and argue with God. Who are we to argue with the God who gave us life? And imagine these servants who have been given a place to live. They've been given food to eat. They've been given a job to do to help provide for their family. And when their master comes and asks them, hey, I need you to go do this, 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 and this for me today. And imagine them saying, not, not going to happen. Well, imagine us going to God and God says, hey, I, I have a calling on your life. I want you to do this. And we say, no, God, I don't want to do that because I want to do this instead. Be foolish. Because when we put God first, you know what he does? He gives us the clothes to wear. He gives us the food to eat. He gives us the water to drink and a place to live. God is our source of provision. And here, not answering again, not, not, not opposing God's word. There's already enough people in our world opposing God's word. You know, the Bible's the only book that you can take anywhere and people are going to oppose it. Because you know why? You know why people aren't really opposing the Quran that much or any other religious document? It's because it's not full of the power of God. It's because this book right here is, is as, 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 as the writer of Hebrews said, this book is quick and powerful. This is the most alive book that this world has ever seen. And it can, it can come into our lives. It can take a deadbeat Baptist and turn him into a full living child of God. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. But now let's look at verse number 10. Verse number 10 moves forward. And we've looked at three steps to becoming a servant of God so far, but now let me share with you fourthly. From the first part, the first two words of verse 10. It says, not pure loining. I wrote on this. A servant of God seeks to be honest with his master. A servant of God seeks to be honest with his master. My first official job was food line, as I've shared before. And I did not like doing the cashier thing. Uh, it just wasn't for me. I'd rather bag groceries, you know, put them in the grocery bag and then put it in the car and then, you know, go out into the parking lot, get the carts, and bring them back in. And as a closing bagger, what we also had to do was we had to clean the, the bathrooms. 
And then we had to take that floor machine and clean the entire store at Food Line. And so many times, I, you know, I was only 16, so don't judge me too hard. But so many times I cut so many corners cleaning those bathrooms and, uh, and all this stuff. This one time it was Halloween. And, and I remember there was another person in closing bagging and I was a, I was a cashier. And, and listen, I was so thankful to God I wasn't closing that day. Because I walked into the bathroom and somebody put human waste all over the walls. And I walked out of that bathroom saying, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to clean that up. Uh, <laughs> so many times we cut corners in, in, in what we have to do. But, but there's one thing that we should not cut corners in, is that's our relationship with God. If we need to be honest with anybody, it's Almighty God. You know, it's interesting. This word, this phrase found in verse number 10, it's only found in two passages of the New Testament. It's found right here in Titus chapter number 2, verse 10. But it's also found in Acts chapter 5. It's so interesting. When you study this word, it literally means to embezzle. So in other words, be honest with God. We have so much embezzlement going on in the churches today. I mean, are you kidding me? People are stealing God's money. This is the money that, that is for God to be used for the ministry. But, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Man has always been tempted in two ways, in, in a greater way than I believe any other sin, and that is sexual sin. And then that is with money. We've been tempted with lust to thirst things that we do not need to have. And then, and then here in, in Acts chapter 5, we read that in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls get saved on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter number 4, we read about 5,000 souls being saved. And so 8,000 people have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The church is exploding. Loading. Remember, when God is working, the devil is always fighting. In Acts chapter 5, and at the end of Acts chapter 4, uh, the apostles, they said, hey, we're going to sell everything that we have, and we're going to bring the money and lay it down at the apostles' feet to be used to advance the gospel message. And Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple, they say, all right, we're in. We'll do it. And in Acts chapter 5, the King James translators, they translated that same word right here, not pure learning. They said, kept back. And that's literally what this phrase means, not pure learning. Not keeping back what we've promised to God. Ananias and Sapphira, you know that story. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles came and confronted them. And God judged them. Imagine. Ananias opens up the door to the house and he says, hey, honey, come here. We got some visitors. And she's out in the back doing something. And by the time she gets to the door, her husband is dead. And then she's dead right away. Now, I'm not saying that if you keep back what you promised to God, he's going to strike you dead. But what I am saying is that when we keep back what, God, what we have promised to God, then we are going to receive God's judgment. When I was in college, we had a, a speaker he was going from Crown College to help teach at an extension school in, in Texas. And I was a broke college student. You, you have no idea. <laughs> Money didn't grow on my trees when I was in college. <laughs> and, and for some reason, I had a $100 bill in my wallet. And I had a few other bills. Never really had a $100 bill. And they said in that service they were going to have an offering and it was all going to be used to help this guy. I don't remember anything else in that sermon or that service. Because the Holy Spirit of God said, I want you to get your wallet out and take the largest bill in your wallet and put it in the offering plate. 
And I just had a hissy fit with God. All service. I said, God, listen, I'm a poor college student. I'm eating this, this nasty food in the cafeteria. I, I, I need to be able to go out to eat on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, get some good food. And so for the whole service, the Spirit of God was saying, Brian, take the largest bill out of your wallet and put it in the offering plate. And so finally, I said, fine. And I took that $100 bill and put it in the offering plate. And I only say that to say this. He said, hey, when the Holy Spirit of God urges you to do something, do it. I could share time and time again when the Holy Spirit of God was, was dealing with my heart and I did not do it, but that was one of the situations where I was able to do it by God's grace. And, and today, listen, a servant of God seeks to be honest with his master. When we make a promise to God, let's keep that promise. But then the verse goes on. It says, but showing all good fidelity. This phrase it literally means having moral convictions or biblical convictions, especially related to salvation. So here's what I wrote down, the fifth and final way we can be our step to become a servant of God. A servant of God seeks to live with convictions for his master. A servant of God seeks to live with convictions for his master. We have over 150 translations of the Bible in English. We have more Bible colleges and seminaries we have ever seen. We have more books and commentators and commentaries. We have more, more resources than, than our world has ever seen when it comes to the Word of God. But why is it that, that we as a society and many churches have set the Word of God aside and say, yeah, we know what your Word says in this area, but you know what? That's okay. We're going to do our own thing. So help us. By the grace of God, we're going to stand on the Word of God. That is, if Jesus, if the Bible says Jesus walked on water, listen, we're going to believe that we're going to be foolish and, and crazy enough to believe what the Bible says, that he walked on the water. If the, if the Bible says that God created the world, he spoke it into existence, and hey, we're going to be crazy enough to believe that, hey, the Bible says he spoke the world into existence. If the Bible says that, hey, hey, that the Red Sea parted and then he walked across dry land, then listen, we're going to be crazy enough to believe it. You can call me an ignoramus all you want to, but I'll be an ignorant ignoramus for the Lord Jesus Christ any day of the week. The Bible says that the foolishness of this world is wiser than man, and he has chosen to take fool and turn it around and make it wise in his eyes. And so today, I want you to know this, that if the Bible says that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins and my sin, I'm going to be crazy enough to believe it. If the Bible says that Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, I'm going to be crazy enough to believe it because the Bible has been proved and tried and tested and it still remains the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. And so by God's grace, let's stand on his word as a church. Let's have a backbone in the body. And let's, let's say, hey, it doesn't matter what, what kind of pressure people put on us. I'm, I'm more concerned about the pressure that's going to be on me at the judgment seat of Christ and what I did not do for the Lord. If the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back and establish a millennial kingdom, we're going to be crazy enough to believe that he is going to come back and plant his foot on the Mount of Olives and judge this world. There's really only two types of servants here today. Type number one is the obedient servant. And type number two is the disobedient servant. My question for you, for me, for all of us, is which type of servant are we today? Jesus said... He came not to serve, 
or excuse me, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Our greatest example came to serve. Don't you think it's time for us to step up to the plate and serve as well? The Christian life is a life devoted to serving his heavenly master. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.